<laughs> You're now listening to the Inside Out Podcast with Jimmy Hunt. Get it. Welcome to Inside Out with Jimmy Hunt. My job is simple, to improve my mental fitness through any means possible and deconstruct what works, what doesn't, and what I think may be able to help you become mentally fitter. And quite often, it leads me to some pretty interesting people, places, and stories. And today, we have one of those interesting people, and his name is Richie Hardcore. Hey, Richie. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm good. Now, if, uh, if people don't know Mr. Hardcore, I mean, you're a, you're a man about town. You've, you've been on many podcasts, on many media things. You say a lot of things and people listen, which is lovely. <laughs> But your your background originally you you're a broadcaster at BFM, mm, and yeah, um, you like to kick people in the head. Yeah, that's about the sum of it, man. Yeah, I um, yeah, I used to be a, a Muay Thai fighter and kickboxer. Yeah, I started doing Taekwondo when I was thirteen years old, and really fell in love with martial arts, and went on to compete and won a bunch of national titles, sub titles, got to fight in different countries. That was like a real personal growth journey because I was a really insecure kid from a dysfunctional home. And then alongside that, yeah, I started at BFM in 2000 and I was there for 15 years. And that was my first sort of public platform where I learned about talking to people from all walks of life. And I had these amazing conversations with my musical heroes from like Chuck D to Iron Maiden and <laughs> the Deftones and it, it was pretty fascinating as a young kid who didn't really think life would amount to much, I suppose. And that, that I guess, coalesced with my love and passion for the hardcore music scene from which I legally changed my name when I was like 26. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's kind of led me to where I am now, man. It gave me, I, I learned on the job, you know, like I'm not a trained public speaker, which is what I do as a, for a living now. I kind of, learned the hard way by like making a dick of myself in public and it's like that didn't work let's do it again well it's kind of we're kind of similar and we and that we just sort of fell into our roles i would say well 100 percent. like your education work which is amazing i'm a fan of and your your authorship it comes from your lived experience which is ultimately really really powerful my lived experiences are the basis for my work and then i've just layered academia and professional experience over the top of it much like you have and so if you were to sum up, what, what are your areas of expertise? I don't know if I'm an expert in anything, but I know a bit of stuff about masculinity and its social constructs. I know about family violence and sexual violence prevention. I have a pretty good working knowledge of mental health or mental fitness, as I really like as you term it. I have a good knowledge of, I have a good basic knowledge of keeping well through lifestyle factors, which is kind of my big focus when I talk about mental well-being. Uh, I have a good knowledge of, I guess, a broad humanities background that, you know, yeah. as well as you're a like, man that cares. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I've always been an empath, like as a human being. And then I've always wanted to make the world better, to be honest. And as corny as some people might think that sounds, I always have, you know, and, and for me, that first was through music, listening to like Public Enemy and Rage Against the Machine and, then that, then that became like even more political with the hardcore scene and the, the hip hop that I gravitated towards. And the straight and edge I, scene as well. The whole, yeah, like the straight edge movement, 
um, vegetarianism, veganism, I'm not a vegan or vegetarian, but all these lifestyle choices that I took at the idea in my idealistic formative years in my twenties have kind of underpinned what I go on to study at uni and then what I would do as a professional. And, and um, I'm stoked for it, you know, like my, I might not die a millionaire, but I know that like, you know, I'm touching people. And, and even if it's one person, it's fucking worthwhile. But I know for a fact, having talked to like huge audiences that the work is, is landing somewhere and I'm part, I'm proud to play my small part in that. I feel exactly the same way. And, you know, we, we know that you do touch plenty of, plenty of hearts around the country and the world and, and, and what you talk about. Now, I asked you to list all of the things that you're an expert in because we're not going to talk about all of them. We have plenty <laughs> of time over the next couple of years on this podcast to, to get you back to talk about all of the different things. But today I'd like to talk to you about masculinity. Mm. I even wore my uh, toughest jacket that I've got to be <laughs> the most masculine. Uh, yeah. Yesterday, yesterday, if you watch yesterday's podcast, uh, it's in a pink fluffy jumper because uh, you you know that you know the way I dress. Yeah, and so I'm interested to talk to you in general about masculinity, but we'll go into some specifics about the way that I live and you live in that regard as well. But how do you think the general state? of masculinity is in New Zealand at the moment. Yeah, right. Well, there's a like the seminal work academically on masculinity is it's called masculinity. It's by uh Raylan Connell, R.W. Connell. Yeah, great. Yeah, I know, right? And 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 Connell talks about the fact that there's actually multiple masculinities, plural. And that there's black masculinity and white masculinity, and then there's like uh hegemonic masculinity and that's kind of what we continue to live under, like these broad cultural ideas about what it means to be a man. And when I'm talking to audiences, I talk about like, yo, these are traditional associations of expected behavior and expected belief structures that correlate with the male sex. And so we broadly still think, and it is changing, and I want to acknowledge that, but we still think guys should be stoic, boys don't cry, you know, bros before hoes, snitches get stitches, work hard, party hard, anger is an expressible emotion, confusion and uncertainty are states that men aren't meant to publicly demonstrate. And while people who are watching this in um, liberal social media land will be like, no, it's not like that at all, well, I challenge you to come to a construction site or a sports club or just more working class environments and re reflect on the nature of the banter and the conversation within those things. Come to a boys' school, come to um, a boys' school, whether it's an elite private institution or a working class institution, there's still a lot of the same cultural constructions that go with that male gender role. And, and obviously, as I said, these things are changing, but if you talk to a little kid when he's four and then talk to a little kid when they're seven, see what they've bought into already, you know, when it comes to behaviors and beliefs. Listen out for how your little kid will start talking about blah, blah, blah as a crybaby or, they, you know, like those sorts of cultural uh, norms that are embedded in our children from a really young age. 
And I think that's what we want to try and break down. Not to say that there's not a difference between men and women, boys and girls. There are, although increasingly people are identifying without either of those uh, labels, people are uh, deciding or feeling or presenting as non-binary. So we need to acknowledge that too. But speaking broadly about the majority of the population, people fit into one of those two gaps. They're one of those two, two groups, not gaps. And it's about allowing the behavior to be fluid and not saying being a man is this. It's actually whatever you want it to be. Do you know what I mean? And, and yeah. we, we police that though, right? Like I imagine if you're a teenage boy in certain environments, if you wore your pink fluffy jumper that you so proudly put on your podcast or your YouTube cast, whatever you used today, you get teased for it. You get asked for it. Don't be soft. Don't be a crybaby. Like that's the sort of shit that we use to police male behavior. And as a guy who, you know, my other work is teaching fighters and I'm in like these stereotypically masculine environments all the time. You hear that banter and you hear that chat. And that chat is uh, about keeping in, keeping people in rigid roles. And those roles aren't helpful for us. I... My favorite color my entire life has been pink. Pink's my favorite color. Yeah, right. I wear a lot of pink. I have a lot of pink. I was, I paint my nails, um, bright colors, but messed up at the moment. But, and I remember walking down the street in Rotorua and a guy just yelling out across the road, fucking faggot. Because of yeah, what I was, because go. of what I was dressed, I'm okay enough to go. Or at that time, I was okay enough to go. Man, that's that's a hurt person who needs to yell across the road and <laughs> abuse me for just <laughs> being on the opposite being side me. of the road and, and looking different. Um, but growing up, I definitely took it as an opportunity for confrontation. If people people wanted to call me out, I would I would step up to them and go. What the fuck is your problem? Why the fuck can't I wear this? What's going on? Like, mm-hmm. um, and that wasn't wasn't a good idea back then. It's not a good idea now. But um, I definitely used it as a fuck you. I'm different. I want to be different, and I've got no problem with being different. If you have a problem, then we're going to have a problem, which isn't healthy. But uh, it's what I did. Well, I was different to you because I has stared when I when I was a teenager, I was really into the grunge and alternative scene, and I'd wear like kilts and like I've I have really naturally curly hair, and I dye it yellow and pink and all these fucking and I had a nose ring and but I went to an all boys rugby school in the nineties that was working class and tough, and we'd get a lot of shit. You know, my friends would be punks or whatever, and we got hassled all the time and. Um, I remember getting in a fist fight one day and like coming off good. And then I kind of got a bro pass from that. And on an intuitive level, I leaned into those stereotypical constructs like manhood, I guess. When I, when I think back, you know, when I'm retrospective about it, I cut my hair into a fade. I um, stopped wearing such out of it, colorful clothes and started wearing, you know, tight singlets and baggy jeans and, I started looking like I was meant to look, I think. And it kind of worked for me for, for social advancement, for one of a better descriptor. You know, yeah. women started treating me differently. Guys started treating me differently. And you, you lean into that as a young man. 
Because we want to be accepted. I want to be accepted. That's it, bro. And so but when I'm talking to audiences now, what I reflect on, I was putting on a mask like a lot of people were putting on a mask. And that's not not all of that stuff's inherently bad. Like I'm stoked of the structure and discipline and self-esteem that was earned and developed and resilience through physical hard work and combat sport. But what I talk about is that that visage of looking hard didn't take my pain away. didn't make me immune to depression or sadness or heartbreak or grief. And many men think it does. And they hide behind that mask, but they're dying inside until they're literally dying. You know, we think about our suicide rates. We think about our homicide rates. We think about um, fatal road accidents. A lot of that is men just living the mask out to the fullest degree, showing off, never backing down from violence, perpetuating that idea of manhood is unbreakable. And it, it's the whole, that old um, story about the willow or the oak, you know, one will bend with the wind, the other will break. And that mask of masculinity, that, that fucking, that image that so many of us have to perpetuate to feel accepted, like you rightly point out, you know, it'll kill us, you know, if we're not careful. And so how do we change the construct around what is acceptable in masculinity? Uh, I think that comes from like, it's a long, slow conversation. I think it's not screaming at people on the internet. I think it's actually role modeling. Yo, it drives me crazy. Drives me so crazy because it's not about screaming about toxic masculinity. It might be an awareness raising exercise. Um, it's about fucking quiet chats with your mates when they're using homophobic language. Oh, hey, bro, probably didn't mean anything by that. It's probably just a habit for you. But when you're using that sort of language, can we think about the ramifications of it? Not in that language either. I'm speaking <laughs> in a kind of like, a, I'm speaking about it in a, I'm speaking about it in an academic way. But most fucking people don't speak like that. You've actually got to be like, yo, bro. We don't say faggot in 2021. And then we're like, what, what? And it's, it's you got to meet people where they are. And that's why I get frustrated with the woke elite. You know, it's just actually not a pragmatic way to go about social change. It's about role modeling things to your kids. It's about accepting that we were all imperfect at some stage and we will always be imperfect. And it's the growth in the journey of, uncovering how we were raised and what culture taught us and what our parents and our grandparents taught us or advertising and media marketers and Facebook memes continue to shape in us and rejecting what we know to be harmful and putting new things in place. You know, it's, 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 it's a million and one patient, kind, loving conversations. I think about the work I used to do in alcohol and drug harm. I think about all my friends who've been through rehab. I think about my friends who've been through the criminal justice system, shame and punishment didn't make them change. They had to have a a desire to do that. It's like you talk about, you need a radical self-ownership if you want to change and you want to grow and you want to heal. And we need to help men do that as a collective. And I don't feel the state of progressive discourse actually understands it a lot of the time. You actually need men leading other men or ro- not even leading because there's a hierarchy there, but in role modeling horizontally, 
what healthy masculinity is. Okay, so the question is, do we have enough role models in this country uh, modeling like, I, I think good it's, masculinity? Because I think it's emerging, though. Yeah. Because, like, what I see is the role, male role models in this country are rugby players, sports players, fighters. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I know. Like, um, yeah. or even, I was going to say actors, but I don't even think we have any actors. <laughs> like, do we have male actors uh, in the country? Well, take a Waititi and there are, there are well, some. He's, he's a very good example of a good role model. And so he's one. But what I'm asking is in general, are, are we are we having the right role models and are we seeing a change coming through? I talk about this when I talk to young people because I struggle to identify them too. You know, when I'm talking to an audience of, of school kids, I'm like, who do we look up to? And it's like you say, people who are renowned for their physical prowess as sports stars. We don't hold up authors or scientists or um, men in nurturing roles with the same value as we hold up guys who are good at what I actually love doing, which is like fighting, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, and that's to the detriment of everyone though. We actually need people to know that, it, that you can, that your worth as a man is it should be equal, whether you're a stay at home dad or a rugby player, whether you, um, you like knitting and crocheting or whatever, the, whatever it might be and writing poetry and talking about your feelings as if you run a, economically successful company you know like we but we continue to value one over the other and then that continues to push people into this limited idea of of what being a real man is and and what i'm getting to is that we need to get rid of the idea of a real man and start showcasing ideas of being a a good man and and a lot of that good man stuff is being nurturing and vulnerable and sensitive and alongside all the other shit like a lot of stereotypical masculine ideas too aren't bad like, it's great to want to provide for your family. It's great to want to protect the people that you care for. It's great to be a person of integrity. It's great to stand up for the little guy. Like, those are some stereotypical associations that we should keep and, and value and, in fact, encourage. But some of the other stuff that we've been discussing, that stuff I think we, we need to slowly help fall by the wayside and replace with healthier concepts. And not just concepts, this is a thing, but actual behaviors. Yeah. You know, these aren't ideas and hashtags, the actual changes on the ground. Now, you have, you've traveled to Mexico a couple of times. Um, I know this. You've done four trips there, yeah, over the yep. years, yeah. I live there most of the time. And the Mexicans have what is called machismo. And, yeah, bro. And machismo is basically what I would refer to as toxic masculinity. Masculinity. They, yep. They, yeah, well, I mean, machismo to them is masculinity, but to me it's very toxic. They, I feel like the men in Mexico are still are equivalent to 1950s or 1960s men in New Zealand in their use of homophobic slurs because uh, they are a highly Catholic society uh, and and that's massively frowned upon. But they highly, highly prize being stronger, being able to fight, respect, and and hurting anyone who disrespects you, and sort of all of these traits that we've moved away from well in New Zealand, for example. And 
I don't know uh, what it's going to take for them to keep moving this way, but I think that it really is a nice benchmark for me to look at and go, even though we still complain about it in this country, we've come a long way. Yeah, I think it's important to acknowledge progress in all social spheres. I think social media can actually keep us blind to the fact that under liberal democracy, we've improved exponentially. Like everything is, is better. Well, not everything, but many things are better by any sort of like objective metric, right? But there is still work to do, right? But it, it, it's important to acknowledge how far we've come because we're seeing that things are getting better. But, you know, the biggest victims and perpetrators of homicide in New Zealand are young men. Biggest percentage of people who commit suicide and die of fatal road accidents are young men. The biggest, you know, like 92% of the prison population are young men. And there are multifaceted causes for all of these things, but constructs of masculinity and expectations of manhood are, are one of them. I think when it comes to Mexico and indeed Latin America, because yeah, Spanish, Latin America. Yeah, I went to university in Chile as part of my degree, and we looked at like Chilean culture and how patriarchal it is. And, was, and, and, and but that's the same everywhere, you know. I, and it's just different slang. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think the point you raised though is that it's interesting that you compared like the Mexican context to the the New Zealand context. Part of me would reflect on that. There's a Maslowian hierarchy of needs in that equation, given yeah. that that's, that's an it's a country which is uh, developing country versus first developing country, country versus first country, right? And so, so we have the space in our society for many of us, not all of us, and this is where I think it's important to start having the conversations that you and I, you and I are having. You know, but those are kind of economic class. Uh, it's, a, it's a very privileged conversation and that's where I get frustrated because it's a lot of university educated people who are educationally and economically kind of looking down at your regular bro who's just working a job trying to fucking get ahead and look after himself or his family and calling them toxic and men are trash and all this sort of stuff. And actually, yeah, you know what? A lot of male behavior is fucking appalling and disgraceful. And I know about it because people tell me about the violence they've experienced at the hands of men. But at the same time, if we genuinely want to change that, we actually have to meet people where they are and call them into the conversation and not other them as somehow alien, but in fact, victims of society, the way marginalized groups are victims of society. Because when you attack somebody, when you speak down to somebody, the first thing that they do is get in a defensive position. They get defensive. Two fingers up, defensive position. I'm going to now, and and, this is the hill I'm going to die on. I'm going to back up my position, even if I I kind of agree with (laughs) you. Even if I'm reaching, right? Yeah. Yeah, and 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 so you're you're right in the way that we have to have these conversations has to be far more inclusive. And I agree with you in the uh, in the sort of the removal of the term toxic toxic personality. Yeah, I I agree with you, bro. Like uh, that's an academic term. All good if you're using it in academic spaces, but when you're trying to meet like your regular bro in the street it's not going to help because when most guys hear toxic in front of masculinity they hear men are bad that's yeah. the, the lens and it, 
particularly because it gets weaponized now, particularly by younger people, younger activists online. And it actually pushes people away from the conversations we want them to be having and that that we know a, we know that they benefit from. Like there's a self-interest for for men in, in changing ideas about manhood. And, and and when you sit down with your regular bro and say, how did it feel when your dad screamed at you or your dad called your mum names or you were scared of your dad, they would tell you that it felt terrifying and they were scared and that they wish things had been different and that, in fact, they now see that they're recreating some of their dad's behaviours and they just don't know how to change, right? If we can reach people like that, then things are going to get better. And, and I think that, why I get upset and if you follow me on social media I've been critiquing critical theory and I've been critiquing woke culture for want of a better term because I feel that term's been kind of ruined by boomers but you know what I mean like if we're critiquing the progressive conversation it's because it's not fit for purpose it's a change to be seen to be calling people out and you get heaps of props for it by your friends in your echo chamber as you or as that aim to be helping people shift along the dialogue, uh, the, the spectrum of belief and behavior. And that's what it should be. And, and I think we get a bit caught up in, you know, my favorite quote is don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And we kind of do that online, at least. We like, we, we showcase how progressive our, our ideals are. It's the new fucking hipsterism. You know, like people are like, have you heard that band? And you're like, nah, that band sold out ages ago. I don't listen to them anymore. They're whack because they're played on mainstream radio. I think it's like that with a lot of our, our ideas around politics and ideology and social change conversations now. Like the more obscure it is, the more of kind of like a circle jerk it is for some people. And I don't give a fuck if you're watching this and you're like, who's this guy? Because you know what, like I actually go to prisons and I work with victims of domestic violence and I work with schoolboys and I work with institutions. So say what you like on the internet, I would challenge you to come and actually have real conversations with real people and see how you go when you're using ultra highbrow terms. And so another one of those terms that's, that gets used attackingly by, you know, what is sort of predominantly a younger activist type thing is the patriarchy, right? And yeah, so yeah. and so we like we're under no illusions that we live in a patriarchy. Uh, mm. our entire history is, of humans is patriarchy. Patriarchal. Patriarchal. Historically, that's been not very nice from literally owning women uh, through to controlling everything. And, and, and that's fine. And we're seeing, we're seeing that move more and more and more, which mm. I think moves along with the changing concepts of masculinity. But one of the things uh, Dr. John McEwen said on my podcast was, I'm not afraid of com- competence. And so... Mm. And so that, you know, that's in regards to experts. Like, for example, I'm not afraid of you, Richie, because you're in the similar space for me. I'm not afraid of Dr. John. Like, I actually uh, encourage and love people who are competent in this space. I love talking to them. I love being friends with them. But Mm. in a lot of areas, males are very afraid of competence. 
It's, it, it challenges their masculinity. It's the it's the finite pie idea where if he gets some, then I won't get some. And that's where this, this masculinity is in regards to trying to get as much as you can for you. I love and, that. I love that you say that. Yeah, go. No, I don't even say I just, I love that. Yeah, we are hyper competitive. And actually, this is a big enough fucking problem that you can talk about mental health and I can talk about mental health and my king talk about mental health and everyone can use the language for their audience. And, and we've all got different ways of talking about things, but with the same outcome that, that's desired, which is essentially for less people to kill themselves and people to live lives of flourishing rather than languishing. But you're right. Like, yeah, masculinity, to keep on the theme of the conversation, encourages hyper-competitiveness. And it's very binary and zero-sum game, as you say. And I think, you know, we're talking about how do we change that. It is exactly what you've done. You know, someone will get into... I think once I had to pull out of some speaking event, and I, this was years ago when I first was starting out, and I was like, try this guy, Jimmy Hunt. And, and he spoke to some schoolboys or something about... I don't know, I can't remember. I don't know if you remember that, but it's about yeah, that I, sort of I, stuff. I, I kind of remember that, yeah. Yeah, and it's about saying, well, I'm not the right person for this, but this guy... Has similar knowledge and he can do it. it. You might like them, you know. It's like when people get in touch with me about wanting to do Muay Thai or kickboxing or boxing, I'm like, or getting fit. I'm like, this is what I'm good at. Uh, if you want to do this, I'm not your guy, you know. But this person is, and they will help you get where you want to go. And it's about swallowing our egos a lot of the time as men to think about things, I guess, in a complementary rather than competitive sense. So what's your take on the difference between the patriarchy and masculinity and where it's going? See, I would struggle to give you a definition if I'm honest. If, I, if I'm honest, I straight of patriarchy that's concise. But if we're thinking about like a male-dominant society with systems of power in which men continue to hold like the levers to social advancement and yeah. then then I think that it is actually slowly changing, like across the Western world at least. That might be contentious for some people. No, I don't think it can be contentious. We, ha we have seen it change slowly over time. We're seeing more women in boardrooms, more women well, CEOs. Well, New Zealand's parliament. New yeah, thank you for yeah, saying that. New Zealand's exactly. parliament is like the most diverse in the world. Like there are more people uh, of minority sexuality and women and gender identity and that's great, you know, like everyone gets a seat at the table. So that's slowly changing. I think it's splitting masculinity into the people that are like, yeah, this is cool. I've got no problem with this. I'm not afraid of competence. And, and then also splitting it into the, fuck, I don't like this, don't like these, they're fucking useless, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. fuck this shit. Yeah, that's a nice, yeah. I'm trying to, I'm struggling to answer your question succinctly. But you're right, like healthy. Okay, so a healthy concept of masculinity or someone's ha happy and healthy in their masculine identity isn't going to be challenged by uh, a trans woman in the boardroom or by yep. um, a female prime minister or uh, a manager who's gay. Whereas an unhealthy conception of your personal masculinity, which is shaped by our broader social constructs of masculinity and the tropes that we are all bombarded with from childhood, Probably would be. You know what I mean? So if we're breaking down this, this, we're breaking, how, how do I say this? 
if we're if we're breaking down the patriarchy as like a personal thing and a systematic thing at the same time, right? Like we all need like an individually a healthy idea of what it means to be a man to dismantle those systems. Does that make sense? Makes enough sense, Richie. <laughs> and it's it's a good question because I'm struggling to answer it. So I'm going to go away and read some books around patriarchy as opposed to masculinity. Uh, you, I remember you coming to my talk last year in Ponsonby and you asked me a question at the end. I don't remember exactly what the question was, but I was like, it's a very good question because I can't answer it for you. I don't, <laughs> I don't have I'm, an answer. I can't solve that for you in two minutes at the front of a room. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I said we should sit down and talk about it, but we I, I don't think we didn't. I can't remember what it was. Probably didn't. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, there's and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. I, I wish more people would say that they didn't know the I don't answers know, to right? things. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. If there's smarter yeah. people than me, we should go ask them. I'm kind of trying to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I can bullshit um, you, but I, I'm trying not to do that. Yeah, exactly. Cool, there's, you know? there's, like, there's no point. It doesn't it doesn't help us, me, you, or the listener. Um no. and so the question is around, do you think that there is a change in masculinity around demographics and uh, socioeconomic demographics, cultural demographics, and do we need to have the conversations differently in those demographics? Oh, yeah, you definitely need to have those conversations differently in different demographics. So I've been talking about that, right, like with you today. like there's. How, how do you how do you get the right messenger to give a similar message? The way I talk with you now is not the way I talk to a room of schoolboys. The way I talk to a room of schoolboys isn't the way I talk to some military cadet or talk to a room full of pickpoxes or a room full of like feminist academics. You know, yeah. like how you code switch if it's authentic is important. If you're faking it, then I would say pass the buck and get someone else to do it. But I come from a working class background and grew up in gyms and then I put myself through higher education and there's like a natural development of how I speak through through my personal journey which has turned out to come in useful as, as someone who talks about this shit but you know I was talking to Tony Porter and I've told this story before Tony Porter runs an organization called a call to men which is tasked at ending men's violence and creating healthy masculinities in the United States context and talking to Tony once, he challenged me to talk about colonialism and its impact and race and its impact. But I am not entirely sure if I'm the right person to do that in this climate, at least. Yeah. Because while I'm, I'm mixed race, I'm, my experience has been pretty white one, right? And yeah, I would like to talk about what I know academically to be an impact of colonial history, but I'm not sure if I would do it justice. So I would probably try and invite someone else who has the same concepts around masculinity, but a different lived experience due to their identity to lead that conversation. Does that make sense? Yeah, because... I think we do a better job of it, depending on the audience. Yeah. And I say this a lot, which is how do you change a culture? Through story. Stories change cultures. And so how do we empower more men to tell their stories of masculinity? Yeah, that's a good question, bro. I think it's about, I talk about social permission 
you know, you're standing up right now talking about your lived and anyone who's watching you or listening to you is like, oh, yo, I can talk about mental health now. I, this, you're, you're breaking down the stigma by your example, Jimmy. Yeah. And I'm breaking down stigma by my example. And John Kerwin's that, and Mike King's this, and Tony Porter's that, and Terry Crews is this. And you're giving, it's about allowing social permission for men to step outside of that box when they step outside of that box, which is scary and, it, and it's the box that's maybe kept them trapped, but it's also kept them safe. But when they're outside of those boundaries of stereotypical masculinity, it's like, oh, that actually feels kind of good. <laughs> yeah. I asked someone for help and I cried and I cuddled my baby and I took um, paternal leave when my child was born. And it's 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 encouraging people to get out and then helping them stay there safely. Because there will be, it's like when someone quits drinking. Everyone's like, fuck, have a drink, bro. Have a drink, have a drink. I respect where you come from in our alcogenic culture. Yeah. It's it's actually about saying, hey, you can step outside of culturally expected behavior and it'd be cool. So you don't tease them or hassle them or say, fuck, got your tampon in, mate, when <laughs> when someone's crying. You are like, oh, hey, man, you must be hurting. What's going on? How can I support you? You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's that social permission that, that is lacking for this, this change to happen faster. And I think you, you hit on two things there which are good. And that, that last bit you just said is one of them, which is uh, what I would class right here as, as small stories. And they, to me, and I just made this up, which is... <laughs> um, which is when somebody says something to speak up in response to that to change their view of masculinity because of your response. So it's just a, it's a small thing you can do. And then you have the big stories, and you mentioned a name before, which was Terry Crews. And so if people don't know Terry Crews, he is an actor, American actor, African-American. He uh, has been on many things from uh, – uh, that Brooklyn Nine Nine, um, but he was very famous for being on the uh, what's the old man's aftershave? Oh, old Spice old commercials, spice? the yeah, old yeah, Spice, yeah, yeah. old Spice commercials, and uh, was it last year or the year before? He spoke up about being sexually assaulted by I think yeah. it was a producer at an award ceremony. I don't remember the details, but I remember that he came out and talked about the abuse that he experienced. Yeah, and so if you haven't seen Terry Crews, I think he's he's an ex. I think he almost got to the NFL. He was very very close. He he was in like the the summer camps. I actually saw a thing where while he was in the NFL uh, summer camps, he was painting portraits of the players because he liked to paint. And so oh yeah, no, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, he's an excellent artist. Um, <laughs> And but he's like six four and absolutely ripped. And he came out and he said that a gay male producer, I think, sexually assaulted him at an award ceremony. And there was the traditional masculine bullshit around but no one can sexually assault you. You're fucking gigantic. Like and all of this sort of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and he had to explain, you know, the power dynamics yeah. that are at play in regards to 
uh, you know, his professional working life. He just can't go knocking a dude out. <laughs> you know, he dude, goes to I, jail for I, that I, stuff. I read a really good article once about a college football player who a woman at a party started having sex with him, well, raping him while he was really intoxicated, passed out on a thing, right? Passed mm. out on the couch or whatever. And he said, what if, if I pushed her off or I'd slapped her by mistake or whatever, and I was being sexually assaulted, who's going to believe me? Six foot yeah. five guy or whatever, muscular. Yeah. And, and at the same time, there's the cultural expectation through this dominant idea about what manhood and masculinity is, is like, what guy doesn't want sex at all times? Yeah. That's a cultural expectation of men is that we're always up for it. And if we're not, there's something wrong with us. There's, a, there's something wrong with our sexuality. And we're not, do you know what I mean? It's like we read yeah. stories of a teenage boy who having, get, like, being sexually abused by a school teacher. And you read the comments, and to this day, it's like, oh, lucky, or I wish my teacher did that, or what yeah, we exactly. from here. And, and actually, we need to break down those narratives because there is such a high number of boys and men who are victims of sexual assault and sexual abuse, and they don't report it because of the stigma and the shame and the culture expectations that we're talking about now. And, and, and you talk about, where did we go? Where were we coming from with this? But yeah, like you say, like Terry Crews is stereotypically masculine in appearance, but perhaps gentle in pursuit and pastime when you talk about what we expect of men, you know, like yeah. we're not meant to encourage men to be artists. We're meant to encourage them to be ball players. And it's about yeah. just changing that to a non-binary conversation. Like you can be a ball player and an artist, you know? Yeah, but the, the point about Terry Crews I think is important is that he spoke up. And he actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. he knew. Thank you. That's what, what was, we were going with that. Yeah, he yeah. knew what was coming. He knew that he was going to say it and he was going to get a bunch of shit, but he was strong enough to be able to not only come out originally, but then like defend himself to some high profile people over the next couple of months and yeah, say, yeah, no, yeah. you're wrong. This is, this is the reality. And, you know, like you might not feel like you are as strong as Terry Crews to become out like <laughs> publicly like that and say it. But there's plenty of you that are. And, yeah. and what happens, and, and this is, I mean, I put this in the same category around masculinity and storytelling as I do uh, in regards to mental health, is that if you are strong enough to be able to publicly put it out there, then yeah, some people will say some dumb shit. And those people are hurt people that are, you know, lashing out because they don't know what's going on. But you will be overwhelmed by love and support because the 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 angry dumb ones are the loudest, but the caring and loving ones are the most numerous. And, yeah. and so all the, all, all the all the yelly ones will write it right on your profile, and then all the lovely ones will fill your inbox with love. Do and you get a pushback, Jimmy? Because do I? Yeah, do people are people uh, horrible to you? No, not not really. <laughs> uh, but but that was what I was afraid of. Yeah, 
Um, and I think I think that now uh, coming up, coming out and speaking about your well, okay. Well, here's an example that I put on my Instagram this morning. You know, Naomi Osaka at the at the French Open tennis, and I put two screenshots of probably fifty or sixty responses to her post. You know, just absolutely ridiculing her on taking time out for her mental health and why should she? Yes. She's a millionaire, successful, yeah. blah blah blah, and there was just a whole bunch of horrible shit. And I know that she would have got so, so, so much love um, mm. in response to that. And, you know, the bigger you are and the more public you are, the, the more hate you're going to get. That's just the way it yeah. works. Uh, I'm yeah. not big enough to get bullshit hate, but I have had some derogatory comments over the years and, they are the couple to the thousands of lovely ones that I've had. Mm, mm. But the the fact that Terry Crews does something like that, the fact that other people, you know, talk about masculinity in this way, gives more and more average males permission to talk about it with mm. their friends. And yeah. that's what I think is the most important because if we want to really change a society, we need to have conversations in everyday society and those are seeded by high profile people having those conversations first yeah that's a really nice way of framing it a really nice way of explaining it yeah you need that social permission at a higher level and then it you know it filters down and and you do i am starting to see that like there are more and more organic instagram accounts that aren't like government funded projects or whatever of men being like, oh, yo, this is some shit I've realized along my journey. And then other men were like, oh, yo, me too. And then, and then that's how change happens over time, you know? Absolutely. As long as we take it offline, as long as we take it offline, I must, I, I really want to iterate, you know, like it's all well and good to say something on the internet, but then as long as you're actually uh, behaving in a way in your, you know, in your physical <laughs> basis, that that's where the change happens ultimately. I don't know about you, but from what I think about my journey and what I feel would be a similar case in other people's journeys is the more that I have addressed my masculinity and the masculine attributes I have, the more that I've tried to find balance with those, the better my life has become. Yeah, man. A hundred percent. Like, a hundred percent. You know, like, it, all this is retrospective learning for me. You know, like, I used I mean, to, like, sleep. I used to sleep around a lot. I used to hide my feelings through... Like, I don't, don't get me wrong. I don't think sleeping around is an inherently bad thing, but when you're using it as a unconscious coping mechanism you can hurt your own feelings and hurt other people's feelings this is something and, i talk about all the time it's not the action it's the energy the, that drives the action yeah that's it but i used to you know be a real kind of goal-focused workaholic sort of approach to life which in some ways was really good for me in my psychological safety but at the same time also kept me from really addressing what was going on inside of myself and, and a lot of us think that we're fine because we're not abusing drugs and alcohol and 
and porn and junk food, but we're workaholics and that gets valued in our culture. And I think I did that to some degree. And it wasn't until I went through some like big crashes and burns in my personal life that I actually had to stop and pause and take down some of that armor that it always kind of kept me safe and look inside myself, do some growth and healing and, and learning. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's kind of what we all need to do to some degree. And it's that permission giving so that people don't have to fuck out in their life to start that process. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. If we can help people be self-reflective and self-inquiring uh, before they hit a bump in the road or 20, then I think that's part of this process of cultural change that we've been talking about today. Do you have any ideas or tools that you teach to start men on a path of introspection and change on their masculinity? I talk a lot about cultural drivers and I, and I, because, you know, I never knew any of this stuff when I was a kid growing up or a young man. And so I encourage boys and men to reflect on what is culture teaching us? And do you like that when I spell it out for you? And they all pretty much uniformly say no. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, if, if we can break down this narrative that, of bullshit that's bad for you and all the people around you, what are some alternatives to that? And it goes back to that real man versus a good man thing. So I, I encourage boys and men to look at the world through uh, a different lens than the traditional one that's provided to us and start filling up, taking out the stuff that they might already be doing and filling that up with better and healthier behaviors. Uh, and that's just from as simple as like, why do we always call women bitches in the songs that we listen to on Spotify? Or why do we always glorify sexual violence and mainstream pornography and not bat an eye to it? And how did you learn about relationships and was that healthy? Was your dad, were you scared of your dad? Or did your parents yell at each other? Or do you know what nonviolent communication is? And if you don't, well, here, here, here's what it is. And here are some places you can learn about it. And it's just about asking questions, isn't it? It's about asking questions, man. I use a motivational interviewing approach to, I guess, encourage guys to help themselves and help one another. Because we can't do this as individuals because humans aren't, humans are social creatures. And if we can, if our bro is struggling and we can be like, yo, man, what's going on? Instead of, well, should we go do some fucking coke and like hit the strip clubs? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if we can yeah. open up instead of armor up, it's going to be great. And then also holding each other to, to account. Hey, man, like I know that you're partying a lot. Do you, want to, do you want some help? Or you're going through a breakup? Or I heard you yell at your kids or whatever. It's about coming to them from a place of compassion and not judgment and helping them find healthier behaviors over It's time. also bravery too. You got to be brave to do that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yo, you have to be real brave to do that stuff. But fuck, all change starts with bravery. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's going against that. the it grain. Does. It's all what I change like about. starts with bravery. It is. And fucking, you know, I'm old now, but 
I still carry the youthful sense of punk rock rebellion in me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I was yeah. always, I was always like, fuck the system growing up. And, yeah. and, and now I'm like, yeah, system's pretty fucked, but how do we fix it? And I yeah. actually have to temper my youthful rage and anger from my personal and the political base into something that's beautiful and constructive. And I think if more of us did that, then we're going to get to where we want to be faster. Asking the questions is is really good. And it just reminded me of a conversation I had a couple of years ago with uh, Zach Franich, the... Oh, yeah. Uh, He's a nice guy. Third, I, I don't know. Third well, New Zealand bachelor. Dude. Yeah, He's yeah, a lovely yeah. dude. Lovely dude. Yeah. He's cool. Lovely dude. He is a professional surf life-saving coach. Yeah, right. And he... So he has... And surf life-savers are traditionally, you know, like, 13 to 17 uh, in age. Um, Yeah, right. And so he's got these kids and he did an exercise with them, which was he split the boys and the girls up and he got the girls to write on the whiteboard everything that they think about when walking home. Uh, I do the same exercise. Right. Yeah. yeah, and it comes from a guy so, called Jackson Katz, and it's such okay. an empathy. Do you know Jackson Katz? No. Sorry to cut you off. I feel bad now. No, it's fine. It's your exercise. <laughs> I, I he was just it's telling me exercise. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. So I do this. I do the same exercise. I learned it from Jackson Katz, so I saw talking about it on a TED Talk or something. And I use it as an empathy exercise. Well, we'll just tell everyone right. what the exercise is. I'll finish that. So, and, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I say to um, so if I'm talking to a a, a mixed mixed room or a co-ed room, I'm saying, okay, boys, young men, what do you do as a, routinely to avoid sexual harassment or sexual assault on the way home? Yeah. What do you, and and no one will say anything, or they might say, oh, don't go to jail because we can joke about sexual assault in jails apparently. And then I'm like, okay, young woman what about you? And pretty much every young woman, and it's made me, it's literally made me cry in a classroom on a couple of occasions, will put their hand up. These are kids who are like 13, 14, 15. And they'll say, I'll put my mom's phone on speed dial, phone number on speed dial. I look out for a safe looking house with a light on. I cross the road when I see boys coming the other way. I avoid construction sites. Um, I don't go running at night. I change the way I dress. And that really helps boys and men go, oh, what the fuck? I'm not doing this. But our culture has meant that so many women and girls change how they live for fear of male violence. And that's not to say all boys and men are violent. They're not. Most aren't. But all boys and men play a role in creating a culture or dismantling a culture from which that violence emerges. And so when we're thinking about healthy masculinity and a bro goes out one night and you're like, oh, did you get, did you fox anyone? <laughs> that question in and of itself is perpetuating toxic ideas in manhood. Or if you go on a date, did you get laid? Did you fuck her, bro? No, why not? You fucking homo, couldn't fucking finish your job. What's your body count? <laughs> like that is a sort of culture which leads to sexual aggression. Are you going to... Are you going to listen to a woman's no when you know that you're less of a man if your internal narrative, you know, like no is not convincing me. It's not coercing someone or pushing someone or pressuring someone till they give up. 
you know, consent has to be enthusiastic and affirmative and and explicit. And yet so much of it, these constructs of masculinity that we've been talking about today ignore all those senses, all those those nuances because real men have a high number of women that they've sexed with and it's where the worth lies. And we will diminish you if that's not true. And that means we show off and we yell at girls as they're going for a walk. There's a video on my YouTube. It's real old and outdated. But an ex-partner of mine was was a victim of some sexual harassment and have been once and I wanted to talk about it. So the, the woman in the gym that I was training at the time, I said, hey, can I do this public thing with you? And that was like such a diverse cross-section of women. I said, tell me about whatever it is, harassment. And there, there were like some 17-year-old girls, 16-year-old girls to like 45-year-old women. And they all explained all the shit we're talking about now, man. And I think that's what we need to be reflective of as men, that it's on us to dismantle these ideas and culture so that behaviors change so that no guy ever thinks it's funny to scream at a girl she's going for a jog or to grab her ass at a club or send her a dick pic or whatever you know like that's what dismantling this shit looks like in a tangible sense i do have to acknowledge that i have to run and teach some kickboxing soon yeah bro we're gonna go anyway we're too long everyone's loved it but we're too long (laughs) <laughs> um, no, and so and that and that's just it. So it's um it's empathy. It's it's Yo, empathy, moving man. towards more empathy on the on the masculine scale for men, because when you put yourself in someone else's shoes, you should be able to feel empathy for that. And that's a perfect exercise for that. Richie Hardcore, thank you for being here today. Uh where can people find out more about you? I have a website which is kind of and I always need to update, but that's richiehardcore.com. I'm on the gram, Richie Hardcore. Uh, I have a LinkedIn, which, had, which is kind of semi-used uh, and like a public Facebook page under the same name. Um, Just Google Richie Hardcore. Really, yeah, don't believe everything you read because <laughs> it's not always <laughs> the most flattering of articles about me. <laughs> I'm, I've found that I'm a very polarizing person and without trying to sound self, like defending myself, I. I've been pretty um, misrepresented by some people in both mainstream and social media, but whatever the fuck, you know, come find me, have a conversation if you're curious about it. Absolutely. Love you, I appreciate the time, Jenny. You're the man. Let's let's talk let's talk again soon, huh? Let's talk. That was Inside Out with Jimmy Hunt. See you next time.